marketing is necessary to run any business well. And while sometimes marketing can feel tedious or overwhelming, it doesn't have to be that way. In episode 31, we shared some of our tried and true tips and tricks related to smart habits for marketing online in unexpected ways. And in addition to this special episode, we've decided that we'd like to show you how we do this ourselves. We hope you can take some of our smart habits and tips, see what's worked for us and how we've gotten results and implement these into your own business. That's right. We'll be sharing all of this in a webinar on Friday, January 22nd, 2021. We'll be sharing our tips on building smart habits so you can market your translation or interpreting business in ways you may not have considered before and make marketing feel like less of a chore and more like a natural part of your workday. We will share how you can think outside the box when it comes to your area of specialization and where you can best reach clients in your field. And we will show you how you can market your business without feeling salesy while using platforms and tools you already have experience with, even some you might never have expected. Those who sign up will get a recording of the webinar, as well as a quick reference guide with our tips for marketing in unexpected ways and making a consistent habit of it. You can find the link to the webinar details and registration page at bit.ly forward slash smart marketing habits. And as a way to say thank you to our email subscribers, we'll be sharing a discount code with everyone on our email list for this upcoming webinar. So watch your inbox. If you're not on our email list yet, go to smarthabitsfortranslators.com and sign up. And if you are already receiving our emails, remember to use the discount code when you register for the webinar. We really hope to see you on January 22nd, 2021, so we can share our tips and strategies with you. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez-Zampalo and Veronica Demichelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 33. This is our last episode of 2020. We know that this has been a challenging year for everyone, but we hope that you will find joy in the small moments and positive things that happened in your professional and personal life this year. We hope that 2021 will be a year of inspiration, growth, and stability for you and your loved ones. We know that we've all created some stability after the year we've had. It is very common to analyze how your year went and what you would like to do differently in the coming year. So we thought it appropriate to talk about productivity, organization, time management, and priorities for this last episode of the year. Plus, we found the perfect person to share about this topic. We are excited to welcome a very special guest, our colleague, Dorothy Rosette. Dorothy is a certified translator and a certified productivity coach. 
She brings together her expertise from decades of working as a freelance German to English and English to German translator with her experience as a certified productivity coach. She specializes in helping clients move out of procrastination to maximize their business potential and live a more enjoyable life. Dorothy served in leadership roles in American Translators Association for 17 years, including as ATA president from 2011 to 2013. She started her own productivity consulting firm, Take Back My Day, in 2014 to explore methods for improving creativity and workflow. She now divides her time between coaching, translating, and teaching. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're really happy to have you with us today, Dorothy. Uh, We both took some productivity courses with you, and you've been incredibly helpful to me as both a leadership and productivity coach. Both Veronica and I have really enjoyed um, learning more about productivity and organizational skills, and we talk a lot on the podcast um, about these topics. So you really are the perfect guest for us, and we're so excited that you agreed to join us. Great. So let's jump in. Um, Can you tell us when and how you started your freelance career and how it has evolved over time? Um, It started small, like everybody. I I was a a language teacher in the 1990s. I taught at SUNY Plattsburgh and I taught different languages there. And I had small children at the time and was just feeling so overwhelmed with the commute and with having to show up at work and then coming home. Um, So when I found an opportunity to start freelancing, I jumped on it and um, worked part-time for a bit and found that there was so much work in translation that eventually I quit the teaching and I haven't looked back. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't realize you used to teach uh, languages. I started that way too. So what does a typical workday look like for you now? It's very structured for me. My clients are almost exclusively in Europe. So I get up early. I work with client orders for translation in the morning. And then I kind of switch gears and I do productivity coaching and teaching in the afternoon. Oh, excellent. Okay. So that that's really cool that you have kind of a nice structure that way. Um, have you had to make any changes this year because of the pandemic? Yeah, I saw that question. Um, And I thought about what has changed for me um, because Mm -hmm. I don't interpret um, my work reality stayed the same. I've always worked from home and that was unchanged. But what I realized was that many of my local networking opportunities had changed. So I take classes locally and I attend networking meetings locally and all of that has gone away. So um, I realized I've, I've had to make changes in that area not all of them have been happy changes I'm finding that I'm missing that face-to-face component quite a bit yeah yeah I think we all are it's very interesting when even though we work at home behind our computers (laughs) that we do cherish that face-to-face interaction especially you know this is the time of year when we're recording this actually that we should all be meeting together in person (laughs) and we're not going to get to do that this year yes yeah, it yeah. is very hard. Even I feel like even for those of us who are self-proclaimed introverts, um, having lived this way for many months now, uh, it's it's getting very hard. And I think we're all feeling it <laughs> on different levels. Um, yeah, so Dorothy, um, 
our podcast is very much about work-life clarity, um, and we prefer that term rather than work-life balance, because we, as well as many of our colleagues, as we, as we see, um, often struggle with, um, you know, finding really, truly feeling that freedom in freelancing. I think those of us who started freelancing, uh, we often say, oh, you know, I wanted to be in control of my schedule or I wanted to, um, you know, not be overwhelmed as much or uh, have time for family and, and all these things. But um, working as a freelancer, you know that you really can work around the clock. There's always stuff to do. And it's really important to find that clarity uh, between work and personal life. So what are your thoughts on this? And how do you try to protect your boundaries between work and personal life? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. I think that in contrast to people who work nine to five for a paycheck, I feel much more tethered to my work, you know, because the next order could work into a long-term client relationship that I really want for my business. So mm -hmm. I'm less inclined to say, no, it's six o'clock. I'm not answering any emails. Mm -hmm. um, so the solutions I've found is I very much discourage people from calling me out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I ask mm -hmm. everybody to please call me at scheduled times by pre-arrangement. Yeah. Um, that's particularly the people that work in coaching with me or in time management. And the clients that have been with me for a long time in translation also know that I'm reachable in certain time windows. And I have trained them, <laughs> for lack of a better word, I have trained them to know when they can reach me and to please not call me, to email me, to, to preserve that little bit of, of control that I have. I very much am a fan of time windows. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier that I work almost exclusively for European clients. That is a decision by design. Mm -hmm. I used to be one of those people who worked kind of around the globe. I had clients in different time zones and I realized just how exhausting that was mm. when I thought I was done with my day. And here comes the client from the West Coast yeah. and says, oh, by the way, are you still available? And I realized I really cannot stretch myself that far. And that was a good decision to make, to say, I'm focusing on one time zone. I will do my marketing in that time zone and I will focus my resources on serving clients from that time zone. Wow, that is that is a really good tip. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard anybody say that, but I really mm -hmm. like it. <laughs> yes. It's true. Yeah. You can get pulled in so many directions and you never know when it's coming. Yes. I hear that quite a bit um, in the, the courses I teach with translators who tell me that literally stuff comes into in their inbox from around the clock. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes, that is true. Yeah, I can relate to that. There are, there are periods uh, where, where I see that too. And it's hard because um, it's it's hard to predict when you will have some sort of quiet time to concentrate and do something when, when things like this stream in. Yeah. So what I found with, with the European time zone, it's far away enough for me when they close business, uh -huh. that's 11 o'clock for me. And then they go home and there is this wonderful <gasps> where I can just take a little time off and I actually, um, at 11 a.m. my time, or 12 
noon, I know I can safely take a walk with my dog or I can mm. run an errand because mm-hmm. they're done. Yes. And then I can come back to my work later yeah, on. That's very wise. And work without interruption. Yes. <laughs> that's something. Yes. There's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there were they, um, having worked um, as a translator for many years and being a certified productivity coach, we're sure you have some some uh, really great smart habits to share um, that have been crucial in your career. Um, you know, anything that's related to organizing your work or your taking care of your physical and mental health, uh, your family or relationships. Um, can you share a few of those with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. So what I do every day is I start the day by writing what I call an itinerary for myself. So that's that's a written map of where I want to be at which time during the day. So that mental map has everything, all the phone calls I've scheduled, every errand, every um, commitment I've made. And that right away creates the windows for me where I understand, okay, how much time do I have for translation work? What will I do if a new request comes in? I've already determined how much available time I have. Um, I write transition times into that itinerary. Um, Transition times are the times between different tasks. Those little windows that so many people forget to schedule. Um, So between each task, you need about 10, 15 minutes to reorient. And that's the time to maybe pick up some clutter or get a snack or or something. So um, I write those transitions into my itinerary. That's really helpful. By the end of the day, the itinerary looks pretty crazy. (laughs) But I find that um, writing it out in longhand is super helpful and it provides guidance throughout the day when things get a little hectic. So a form of that, I would recommend um, if if, um, a digital version is easier for you, do that. But I really like having it in handwriting next to me. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Something else that I find is super helpful is to set firm rules. So a rule could be, Don't eat at your desk. Treat social contacts as important tasks rather than something you do when everything else is done. Network like that next contact could be your biggest client 10 years down the road. Those rules that help you focus concentration and effort. I like that a lot. I think that doing that too helps when those interruptions do come. You know, if you have your itinerary set for the day, you also kind of have your transition set too. So perhaps during a transition, if you have to deal with an interruption, you could, but you don't lose that time from your structured work time necessarily. Because I find that that's something that takes a lot of mental um, powers to switch between tasks. We lose a lot of time between tasks. For sure, yes. Yeah, and if we're being pulled in, in lots of different directions, then it's something that you have to really pay attention to. Like, am I being as productive as I could be, or am I letting myself be distracted? I think, what, what do they call that, a squirrel mentality or something, mm-hmm. when you're constantly going back and forth to different things? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I gave a presentation at the ATA conference. Um, it was on distractibility, distraction, and focus. So if you missed that session, I think they're all available for six months after the conference, right, Madalena? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it was um, ATA 61 Focus. That's right. Okay, so look for that hashtag, ATA61 Focus. That's right. Yes, you um, people who attend the conference, um, or if you want to buy it after the fact, you can do that. But um, that's true. Attendees have six months at least of access. So definitely check that one out. Yeah, so in, in that presentation, I talk about how long it takes for the brain to return to full focus after a distraction. It doesn't really matter how long that distraction is, but the average time is 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, it's, it can be a lot, yeah. This is so true. I, and you know, quite honestly, uh, even, even though I have two kids, um, I haven't really felt it as strongly as I did this year uh, when my kids were at home uh, for a few mm-hmm. months. Because they normally are at school, so I don't get that many uh, distractions, like serious distractions, um, <laughs> that I really can't control. Uh, otherwise, you know, when they're when they're in school, I can. It's it's mostly my choice. Like, do I react to this distraction or not? A phone calling or an email coming in or something else. But when your family is at home around you all the time, um, it can be hard and also very unpredictable when things like this happen. Mm-hmm. So I did notice, especially this year, how long it takes me after getting distracted with some crazy, uh, urgent situation <laughs> uh, to get back to what I was doing before. It's honestly, yeah, it was it was eye opening for me that it's really 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes. Like, what, what was I doing? Where was I? Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's really mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those distractions come at a price, mm-hmm. right? They they either affect the quality of your work or they affect how long it takes you to complete a certain task. Yes, especially if it's like a creative task that takes a lot of mental energy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I don't know if you two feel this, but sometimes if you're working on something that takes your own like origination of thoughts and, and ideas and putting that down into, uh, you know, something written or visual it could be very distracting to be distracted and then try to come back to it and, and, and really kind of put the same amount of energy into it. Mm-hmm. I have found that that's difficult. Yeah. So if at all you can afford it, I mean, not all distractions are the same, right? Some right. are so urgent that you don't have time to think, but some are kind of there's 30 seconds before you choose to respond. If you at least jot down where you were, Mm. until you respond to the distraction that can be very helpful yeah yeah and what do they say that the majority of things are not really a fire to put out so probably most distractions could wait I mean things do happen obviously but I think the majority of the distractions that we come across day to day are things that probably could wait I don't know what do you think Mm -hmm. well a lot of things are what I read in in my research for this presentation was that about half of distractions are self-chosen. I thought that was astonishing. I I would have thought it was less. Just take a quick look at your phone because you you may worry that someone may have called and you didn't notice it or getting caught up in in drama of any sort. Um, That would be a good example of self-chosen distractions. Self-chosen distractions may also be where you assign a lot of meaning to being present Let's say the example may be 
if you're in a forum where people talk about translation related terminology, mm-hmm. it's super nice to be the person who helps out and responds, but you don't have to do that. And if you don't, someone else will jump in and answer the question eventually. So the decision in that moment is, should I be the nice person who knows the answer and shares it, but at the cost of her concentration and focus yeah. on the other end? Or should I give preference to what matters most to me here and let the community take care of itself for a while? That's very good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's funny. I mean, I think all three of us use social media, but it's interesting to me sometimes when I sign in that it seems that there are some people who are always on social media and I'm like, how do you get anything else done? I agree with you. Yes. But it's a cho- yeah, and that's one of those things. It's a choice, but I think because of the way technology is too, people don't realize it, so they're so drawn into it, or like you said, they're trying to be helpful, but they don't realize that they are. It's at the cost of something else. So, uh, Dorothy, let's talk about some of the topics you have a lot of expertise in as a productivity coach. Uh, Running your own business means you have to wear a lot of hats uh, and freelancer overwhelm can definitely creep in and become very debilitating. So what advice would you give to fellow freelancers out there who struggle with overwhelm and productivity? I would say, first of all, that the causes that are not always the same, that it's worthwhile exploring what is causing that sense of Mm. overwhelm. Is it um, financial stresses? Is it Um, a sense of perfection, what is causing this? Um, And then to look at, once you've identified what is so stressful, to look for targeted sources to deal with exactly that. So let's say you want more business and you're really stressed about needing more business, then look into sources that help with your networking and marketing. Actually, I, I was going to mention the the new ATA accountability groups, the the mastermind groups, those may be a perfect source to address specific concerns that somebody has who's freelancing and is feeling overwhelmed a lot to just get together with people who may be sharing the same problem and, and see if you can find solutions. It really does help a lot to talk to others, to look at available resources and to remember that you don't have to reinvent the wheel necessarily, that so many people are freelancing and they have found great solutions. Um, so to look for those and not think that you have to carry the entire burden of, of this stress, that there are valid solutions. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Um... I think that since we all work from home and we work remotely, you know, not in contact usually with too many colleagues except electronically, you know, digitally, um, I think it's important to take advantage of those relationships we have with colleagues too because, I mean, just like you were saying about resources, um, an example would be Veronica and I share a lot of resources on certain topics, but, you know, I don't know what she's reading. She doesn't know what I'm reading. We can't possibly be aware of all the information that's out there, especially now it's just become such a vast amount of information available. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful to talk to somebody else or say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Is this a crazy idea? Or, um, I'm having this problem and how do you deal with this? Or do you know, 
of anybody who um, could help me with this or an article or something. It's true. Mm-hmm. You can get so much from talking to other to, to colleagues about these things. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if the conversation is targeted. Well, yeah, that's definitely a very good tip. Um, and, and I think there is a lot of freelance overwhelm. I think that a lot of, um, and not just for new freelancers, I have mm-hmm. seen people who've been working 25, 30 years who are completely overwhelmed mm-hmm. or just either with their time management or with lack of, 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 of clients, especially right now during the pandemic, so everybody has their own struggles, right? Um, I agree. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. My thought on that is actually that some people who have put in many years are sort of stuck in a beginner's mindset about their freelancing. And that seems to be causing stress. Um, so to give you an example, somebody who's done 10 to 15 years of freelancing should not be worried about earning more money than someone who started last year. And yet you have people who are kind of stuck in that beginning tier of um, working for large clients where rate adjustments are difficult. So that seems really interesting to give that some consideration. I I would refer to that as portfolio management, as looking at your company's client structure is that really a suitable fit for your level of experience and is that possibly causing some stress that it's a client who sends a lot of lot of work but it's not well paid so there's always a lot of work but in the end it feels like you're just treading water mm-hmm. yeah I think I remember being there myself years ago actually when I started and I thought this is exhausting. <laughs> and yes. you and you get to the point where you go, I, I don't even have the brain power to market to new clients because I'm constantly busy. But yeah, you're right. The volume is high. The pay is not great. And I realized I have to get out of this because I would have no life otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody probably can, can say at some point in their career they've done that. But you're right. I mean, if, if that's your entire career, not only is that exhausting long-term, uh, but n- nobody wants to live project to project, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, very interesting. Um, and you gave, and I don't remember the name of it, Dorothy, maybe you do. You gave a webinar on something similar to this, I think, for ATA. I know we keep talking about ATA, but we're very, all very involved here in that. So I don't remember the name, but it did have to do with the different tiers of the business, right? I actually watched it again just before uh, the interview. Uh, managing the stages of your business, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. So maybe we can link to that, Veronica, um, in the show notes so people can go in and uh, purchase that and watch it. It's it's really, really excellent. I mean, it makes you think about your business in a whole different light. And, and that's another thing that um, I think we need to touch on, too, is that even though you may work by yourself for yourself, you have a business. And that is this particular webinar is very good at saying, you know, this is how larger businesses think over the years as they develop. We should be doing that too. And so I thought that was a really interesting take. So Dorothy, do you have any tips on ways to set priorities when you have a lot on your plate? One really helpful rule is pick any number. Um, Let's say I'll pick the number six. So I can ask myself, will this matter six hours, six weeks, and six months from now? Works with any number. 
But just to think about, okay, am I just reacting to something that in six hours won't even matter? Or is this something that a decision now affects what will happen half a year from now? That's interesting. So will this matter six? Six weeks and six months is more helpful. Six weeks. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe six hours too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But just to think, you know, is this, as you imagine a timeline, how much does it go down a timeline? And so the example might be a a spat that two people are having and you're not even involved. Mm -hmm. So it's distracting at the moment they're having this spat, but for you to get involved Mm. and it's six hours from now, they have forgotten about it and you are still (laughs) right. You're still the aftermath, right? Lingering in your mind, even that's, that's a distraction in and of itself. Yeah. So six weeks. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. That's a great tip. That's really good. Yeah. I need to like have a sticker with this and, and, you know, have it somewhere that I can always see it because I I tend to take these things very close to heart, even even if um, sometimes, especially if they're not concerning me, but I just feel like, you know, this is unfair or this should be happening. Um, it can be hard to take your mind off of this thing. Yeah, it's true. Even if you're not involved. Yeah. Veronica's very like, she wants justice for things. You're like, this is unfair. <laughs> this is unjust, you know, and I get it. I totally get it, but it's true. Uh-huh. And it's hard to separate yourself uh-huh. sometimes, but it's, that is a chosen, chosen distraction too, even though we feel like maybe it's not. Right. It is too. Yeah. So the, the thought of what or who deserves your attention is very different from responding to um, stimuli that, maybe reaching you at the same time yeah what deserves your attention is your work obviously um your your friends your family and then whatever you want to consider it's it's like circles reaching out right Mm -hmm. and people who may be clamoring very loudly for your attention actually Mm -hmm. don't deserve any of it (laughs) it's interesting yeah and we often let them take up a lot of it. Yeah. That's a good that's a good visual. <laughs> yeah. So actually this reminds me of something that you and I talked about, something I recently started doing, and I think I've shared here maybe also on the podcast with, with you, Veronica, but I have started setting um three priorities for the day, which I was already doing before, but I've changed a little bit now to where those three priorities are the first things I do before I do anything else at all. Um and so it might have something to do with, you know, exercise, or it might have something to do with my business, or it might have something to do with, with, you know, taking some time to just sit quietly or anything like that. But that's been a really interesting shift um, mentally to set those priorities for the day and not let other things uh, distract from those before I'm ready to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's been helpful, too. So Dorothy, we mentioned that, you know, we both took some of your courses and uh, I really enjoyed the, um, I I don't remember if it was a challenge, I think it might have been a challenge group through uh, training for translators. Right. Yes, that was really good. And some of the excellent advice that you shared there had to do with organizing um, our workspace. Um, And we wanted to ask you about that here on the podcast too, if there are any uh, 
tips or habits that you recommend um, to keep our workspaces organized, both the physical workspace, you know, whether it's a desk or a home office or wherever, um, wherever people work, or and also the digital one, like our email inbox or calendar. What can we do to make these spaces uh, more productive, sort of uh, helping helping us be more productive and, and less overwhelming? Oh, okay. Um, so I think that clutter, both in a physical sense and a digital sense, creates the same distractions that we talked about earlier. So a thing that is living on your desk needs to have an assigned space. Anything that's just sitting there because you weren't sure what to do with it is going to create more distraction because every time you look at it, you go, hmm, I wonder what I should, or it just lets your mind go elsewhere. So um, I feel that a desk needs to have certain characteristics. I mean, it can have any decoration that that is that you consider appropriate, but it should have a view of an analog clock. I recommend that a lot because analog clocks give you a lot more information about actual time left than digital clocks do. That is true. That's so interesting, but everybody should have an analog clock at their desk. And you should have everything within easy reach so you don't have to get up or move around. There should be a place to put um, things to discard, so throw papers immediately to one side. Um, there should be a place to put things that you're done with on the other side. Um, it's really, really important to have ergonomic, good, comfortable seating, writing space, um, because that, that's equally distracting is pain in your body from a poor posture or um, kind of a desk that isn't set up exactly for your needs. All of those are just such interesting, small adjustments mm -hmm. that many times we find ourselves kind of just saying, well, it is what it is and we're working in a space and it doesn't have to be that at all. It would be maybe a matter of turning the desk 90 degrees to get better light or to get a decent chair set up for it. So any yeah. of those, those physical adjustments have amazing effects on focus and concentration. Yeah, that is that is so true. And in, in digital terms, kind of digital is just an extension of the same thing. Um, I can give you a funny example during COVID-19 now, my husband has been sharing my laptop and he's one of those people who just saves every file on the desktop. Oh no, <laughs> oh, oh my so, gosh. Um, I love him dearly, but I, I think, <laughs> Would you not save all your files on the desktop? Because I can't even see the desktop no. anymore. And my, my habit would be, okay, as soon as I handle something, I believe in handle everything just once if you can. So my approach would be, I have a file that I've created. I give it an immediate name. It's got a date and the file name so I can find it again. And then I would save it in a directory place where I know I can find it again. That saves so much time. I can just search, use the, the search function in my own computer and search by date or title, and I have what I need. Mm -hmm. Smart file names, super important. 
so yeah, digital clutter can be anything from um, thousands of followers in your social media, people that you have never even met or heard of, and they're following you, mm-hmm. or um, things that you never gave a name to, um, such as image files. They come off your phone and they're called IMG something something. <laughs> but how do you know what's in the picture when you have so many of them? Yeah, that's true. There, oh. We could talk about digital clutter yes. for a while, I think. And yeah. passwords. Passwords are just uh, such a time sink. Mm-hmm. Um, so a good password manager, I think, is is really indispensable now that everything has its own account and login information. You can drive yourself crazy searching for passwords or recovering them. If everything is just there at your fingertips, that saves a lot of time. Yeah. Do you have a password manager that you like? Because we talked about this in another episode with a couple of guests and they recommended one. I don't remember the name now, but... One Password. One Password. Okay. Yeah. I like LastPass. That's what I use. Okay. I've been very happy with it. Cool. Let's link to that one too in the show notes. Yeah. I like LastPass because it syncs across different devices. So when I'm traveling or I'm somewhere with my mobile device, I can still access all of the passwords and that has paid for itself over and over. Okay, good. That's an excellent feature. Yeah, I um, I could so relate to when, <laughs> when you mentioned the desktop covered with files, you know, you can't even see it. I, uh, I start hyperventilating when I see something like this. <laughs> I would not be able to to do anything until I cleared that out. And that has been a struggle for me um, in my physical workspace this year because I've had to share my home office with mm-hmm. my husband. Um, and he uh, he needs more workspace, uh, you know, to f- more physical space than me because he has to use for his work. He has to use several screens, uh-huh. several computers. So he got the big desk and the comfortable chair and... Uh, he got he got my my preferred spot in the office, and every time I I look at it, it's oh, covered yeah. with clutter, with uh, you know post-it notes and papers and and coffee cups and you name it. And I just you know I, I can't I can't handle it. So I had to turn I had to find a positioning for my desk mm-hmm. so that I don't look at his desk all the time. That that's really distracting to me. But now that I don't see it. It's fine. I can I can handle it. Oh, there's a there's a book on this by Gretchen Rubin called Outer Order, Inner Calm, and it's true. I I know that a lot of people say, "Oh, my desk is always a mess," and they're kind of proud of it. And I'm thinking, how do you work? <laughs> it is distracting. I, I agree. It's very distracting. It and I, I found it really um, good when I when I had a corporate job. We had a clean desk policy. So before you left the office, you had to have clear, cl- cleared your desk of anything, you know, except maybe a pen. Um, and they would sometimes check, you know, it wasn't like any draconian measures, but they would sometimes check and you may get a note or someone would come over and say, hey, you're, you know, maybe think about cleaning your desk next time. And that got me into a habit of doing that. So I can't imagine doing otherwise right now. Wow, that's- cool 
Um, so, Dorothy, you served as president of um, American Translators Association from 2011 to 2013, which is a pretty big job on top of uh, the work you do for your business. So what did that experience teach you about smart habits? And do you have any tips on balancing your paid work, volunteer work, and any personal projects or hobbies that you do for your pleasure? Mm-hmm. So looking back at that time, there were a lot of things I I simply didn't have time for. I decided at the time that social media was really not something I could focus on. I think Mm -hmm. I had one account and I allowed myself to look at it once a day. That's since then probably become a little harder because more people use social media for marketing. But um, what I found is I had to build almost like a pyramid of significance for myself so what mattered most and what came second what was third it was not easy to make sure I had enough time for family activities because I was working and then I was dealing with association matters so I made those family things calendar items so to go to sports events or to to have dinner with the family that was like as relevant in my calendar as a deadline. And I, again, I think that my my habit of scheduling a lot of calls and a lot of contacts came from that time because I found it impossible to handle if I was in the middle of, of translation work for someone to call me and they wanted to chat about the budget or, or um, some important matter but I wasn't prepared to talk about it. And it was really an inconvenient time. So mm-hmm. I would ask everybody to let me know in advance what they wanted to talk about and when, and we mm-hmm. would make appointments for everything. Um, they might've felt that I was a little rigid at the time when I said, don't ever call me out of the blue unless things are on fire. Um, and I think in the whole term, I got called just a handful of times because things were totally out of hand and there was an, an urgent matter. But other than that, we really were able to pull it off with scheduled calls and um, predictable commitments. That was helpful. I feel, I sometimes see that when I work in courses or in groups, um, there are people who prioritize their volunteer commitments very highly sometimes to the extent that they're not sure where it ranks in their life whether family or volunteering is more important Um, so a little bit of clarity there is really helpful to go um, maybe back to that whole of will this matter in six months will this matter in six years if you have children, absolutely, whatever you do will matter a lot in six years. While a volunteer commitment is great and important, but it may not matter as much because somebody else can do the same job or a similar job. So all those thoughts about relevance, long-term meaning factor into that. That's true. That's very important. Yeah. So... um We have a couple more questions for you, Dorothy, but um, thinking about this year, this year has thrown everybody off course in many different ways. Uh, Do you have any advice on how people can deal with items and projects that maybe they didn't get to accomplish in 2020 
and how to set realistic goals for 2021. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. I know certainly for myself and for a lot of other people, big goals did not work out the way we thought they would. It's actually really interesting to me how we always say, oh, when, when things slow down, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and things slowed down dramatically. And did we get anything done? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, so time isn't really the important factor. Mm-hmm. You know, when I sat in, in lockdown in March, I thought I'd have so much time. And actually work was down and I had a ton of time on my hand and I did not get all the things done that I thought I would. And the reason was that I spent the time worrying. I spent time being distracted and searching news sites and being obsessive about um, all kinds of news cycle announcements. Mm -hmm. And then to some extent too, I, I wasn't sure about my own motivation. I wasn't sure whether um, big projects would actually pay off. So I would say when you're looking at 2021 and you're looking to revisit big things like maybe a website or a business plan or a specialization, the way to look at it is not from a time perspective but more from a motivation perspective, will this benefit you? Or how, how will you get ahead with that work? And how does that contrast with the urgent on the spot work that you do as a freelancer? Yeah, time is something very interesting because uh, we, have, we only have a certain number of hours in the day. It's always the same for all of us, right? <laughs> But uh, we all have different commitments. And I think we can all say that probably we, we've said at some point in our lives until we realized it was silly. <laughs> we've said, oh, when I have more time, I'll do this. Or I'll wait until I, you know, everybody, when it's the right time. Yeah. Those things that are good, I've noticed there is never a right time. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think when you actually do follow through and you take a big step, it's not because you have time. It's because you have motivation. Right. Yes. That's very interesting. So our last question for you, Dorothy, is uh, to see uh, what you're working on right now. Do you have any smart habits that you're working on right now? Um, yes, I'm, I've decided because of COVID-19 that my social contacts were really important and there are fewer random content or contacts that I have because I don't do face-to-face networking at the moment. So I decided that one of my important habits had to be to make sure the people that matter to me are okay and that I spend appropriate amount of time with them. So my daily habit is now to look at social contacts as a priority that is equal to my work priorities. I consider my social contacts much more important than before. So it's not just a matter of of checking in with people, 
but to also go deeper in those contacts. Um, so my habit is to ask different questions than I asked before, not just, oh, how is everything going and have you seen the news, but um, more like what, what's going through your mind? What are you busy with? And then hearing what they have to say. And that's been a really interesting experience. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people, I think, saying that they have taken this time to deepen their connections with people. That's really made them think twice about yeah. how busy we all were before. And I'm not saying people aren't busy now, but, you know, to see, like, wow, especially I think with so many deaths that have come from uh, the pandemic, people are taking the perspective of, you know, we're not promised anything, so let's make sure we we prioritize the right things the right people yeah that's so true and i i felt it myself too um both people reaching out and and um sort of uh going beyond the usual how are you doing what's up you know what's new (laughs) that that question is um is is not um you know it's not going over very well this year i feel like you really have to make an effort to (laughs) something else uh, and also, and also myself, um, more often than I did before, thinking about the people that matter to me that maybe I haven't really talked to um, in in a while, or people that um, were important in in various phases of my life or career, and just taking a moment to reach out and and say something specific about you know maybe a memory that I cherish or something that they they helped me with um that that's you know really means a lot to me right now or uh connecting to a a distant relative that i've been thinking about um it's it's important so uh dorothy we like to end our episodes with uh, one of our special segments and we wanted to talk about uh books with you today (laughs) and see if you have any book recommendations if you are reading a good book right now that you would like to recommend or if you've read something recently um yeah i have a title that i can actually recommend highly Mm -hmm. um i'm reading sally helginson's how women rise and she says that there are 12 habits so that ties in really well with the show right there's 12 habits that hold women back from the next raise the next promotion or job in this book is just such an eye-opener um she she's identified 12 different behavior patterns that women have Um, So it's called How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back from Your Next Raise, Promotion, or Job. I've actually seen Sally speak. She's a very funny speaker. And um, she pointed out in her own presentation how shattering it can be to be a perfectionist about small, insignificant things. How much time that consumes. I can't wait to check it out. That sounds wonderful. So I am really enjoying your book, and I've been enjoying it for a few months now. Um, and even my family does too. My husband's um, not—he's he's not such an avid reader as I am, but um, even he has been uh, like flipping through this book. I keep it in the kitchen or in our coffee table in the living room, and um, 
my my uh, older child likes to look at it too. It's called Speaking American, um, how y'all use and you guys talk a visual guide by uh, Josh Katz. Um, and it's a really fun, uh, both visual and um, sort of an, an analysis of uh, various uh, dialects across the U.S. and how people call um, things uh, different ways and how they maybe pronounce certain things differently. And for um, our family, where we're, uh, you know, I'm native Russian, my husband's native French, our kids were born and are growing up here, but we speak uh, both French and Russian at home. So with our um, sort of <laughs> multilingual background. It's really fun to explore that side of the culture and, and language. Um, and I'm just really fascinated with accents and dialects. So I, I really enjoy uh, flipping through this book uh, from time to time and discovering um, some new uh, words or new pronunciations of words in different say, states or, or cities. So it's, it's really fun. <laughs> That's funny. It, it, do you recognize yeah. any of the ones that you've found in Texas? Because you you live in the South, so yes. there's some interesting. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yes. Even, yeah, my daughter did too. It's funny, our daughter, or son and daughter were born here in, in Houston. And um, not our son yet, but our daughter has always been saying, I'm Texan, you know. <laughs> and she, and she uh, uh, every time she opens this book, she always finds something. She's like, this is how we speak here in Texas. And I always laugh because I say, well, you're, yeah, you kind, you're Texan, but you actually have French, have Russian. <laughs> so, but it's, it's hard that identity part is, um, it's really, it's really funny. Yeah, but I, f- I thought it's it's a fun book for colleagues who maybe work uh, with both um, American English and maybe British English or other languages just to see what uh, differences one may um, come across. Um, what about you, Madalena? What are you reading? Yeah, I'm reading a book. Um, it's no surprise probably that it's another thriller. <laughs> um, I always talk about thrillers on on the podcast here, but I'm um, reading a book that just came out in August um, this year, 2020, and it's called The Night Swim, and it's by Megan Golden. And um, if you like podcasts, it's actually kind of an interesting book because the protagonist is a podcast host of one of those true crime podcasts. And she's actually following the story of a trial, um, a case that's in a town that she goes and she, she just, you know, like stays there during the, the length of the trial and she's interviewing people for the podcast and reporting on it. But at the same time, there's somebody who lives in that town or who was from that town who was asking her to look into another crime that happened there. So that was a very interesting twist. It's kind of two stories in one. Yeah, so it's called The Night Swim by Megan Golden. And that's one thing, I mean, I I read some business books, but I find that reading things that are not related to work are often really good Mm -hmm. just to kind of break away from that um, daily, daily, uh, you know, mental game that we go through every single day and and, uh, just take a break and Mm -hmm. immerse yourself in something completely different. So thanks so much, Dorothy, for joining us today. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And you make staying organized and sticking to those work-life boundaries sound very doable. (laughs) Um, We all know that it's all in our hands, but it's really inspiring and helpful to hear your perspective on these things. And we know that our listeners will appreciate your tips as well. Uh, But before we go, where can we learn more about you and find you online? Um, The best place to start would be my website, takebackmyday.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Is there any anywhere else? Um, I'll be teaching another intensive challenge with training for translators. So that's kind of a sneak peek I'm giving you here now. Um, okay. I'll be teaching a course on how to tackle those big projects that you finished halfway and then couldn't see all the way through. Oh, great. So that's coming up and it'll deal with how to make that next step happen. Oh, wonderful. Okay. We'll definitely link to that as well in the show notes so that people can join your, yeah. your, your course. Well, thank you for taking the time to come and, and talk to us. That was great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Um, and to our listeners, Dorothy is, is kindly offering a free resource to everyone. It's a downloadable productivity checklist for long-term business health, and you can receive it by signing up for our emails on our website. And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be sending our email subscribers a summary of today's episode with a link to the show notes and uh, as well as Dorothy's checklist. If you'd like to receive our emails, please sign up for them at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. And if you like our podcast, there are a couple of simple ways you can show your support. Please share the podcast with your colleagues and friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This only takes a minute and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover, please send us a message at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you liked this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share the podcast with other translators you know. 